Glory to God. Good to see you here this morning. You are the brave who made it out in the cold. I saw that today was going to be the coldest day of the week. And boy, it was it was cold. <laughs> but we did get it pretty warm in here. It um, at least it feels pretty warm to me. Got everything cooking early and got it all to the place where we wanted to be. So hopefully you're comfortable until we have to venture back out. But glory to God, it's uphill from here. Or at least for the temperature, it's going up. That's going to be good. We started last week looking at some things about how to overcome from an injury. Sometimes we've had uh, things going on in our body. It was a, an injury or a weakness, and it stays with us for a long time. How many can relate to that? You've had an injury or a weakness in your body, and it has stayed with you for a long time. It's not sickness and disease. It's not caused by sickness and disease. It was either caused by an injury, something wasn't quite right, something somehow got damaged, and we're, we're dealing with that. And we can't just lump everything together. And so we're looking at some cases in the Word of God that deal with injury and to see how they, how they dealt with it, how they overcame, and what it is that they had, had uh, gone on to do. So with that, we're going to be over in John chapter 9 and over at verse, verse 1. Brother Victor, I moved that one over into that room over there to warm it up. If they don't think they're going to need it, you might want to bring it on back. And we'll just, you can be in charge of moving it back and forth there, what you got to do. <laughs> to, to see, we want everybody to stay nice and warm. Last week, we were looking at the man with the withered hand, and the withered hand had become withered because of an injury. We know that just from the way that the Greek was phrased on it. It was something that happened in the past with a continuing or present-day result. And we saw that he had to listen to what was said and to obey. And one of the things we came out of there last week was that in the cases of injury that Jesus was dealing with, generally, there was a command for the person to do something. Many times with sickness and disease, he spoke to the fever. He spoke to the disease. He spoke to the demon. Or sometimes authority was used in another manner. But with, with injuries and with things that were done, there was damage. He doesn't speak to a disease. He doesn't speak or take authority over anything. He, he treats this differently. And if he treated it differently, then we've got to learn what it is that he did so that we can have success. And so we looked at the man with the withered hand and he was told to do something and he didn't argue with it. He just did it. The Lord said, stretch out your hand. And when he stretched out, the word of God said it became as good as the other. What we had to do is get ourselves to a place that when Jesus speaks to us the command, when we hear something that we're supposed to do, that we do it. Because if you sit there and question, well, I'm not sure that that's actually going to have any effect. I'm not sure that that's actually going to do anything. Well, I've done that already. Any kind of questioning like this, we're not ready to receive the thing that we want to receive. Very often, if we want to receive something big, there's something big that needs to be done on our part to balance it out. Do you remember that, that God was, uh, he gave a big blessing to, to uh, Abraham. He said, I will make of you, 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 you have, uh, your descendants will, be, will, will multiply. I will make of you many nations. Kings, plural, will come from you. 
all these things that he had said to him. It was a big blessing that was coming to him. But there was a big thing on his part too, wasn't there? He had to get to himself to a place where he was ready with big faith to believe what God said. This time next year, you're going to have a baby. And he didn't laugh. He didn't say that's not going to happen. That wasn't the only thing though. He also came to a place where God said, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and take him up to a mountain I will tell you. Or the mountain that, that he showed him. So he took him up to the mountain and he was supposed to sacrifice him. And he was ready to just kill his son because God asked. Now God stopped him. But you see, if there's going to be a big receive, there's generally needs to be a big give. Something to balance it out. It's not that we're buying it off from God. It's just that we're, we're demonstrating that our faith is at a certain place. And that's what we need to get to. It's not really, I mean, God knows where our faith is. But we've got to get to a place where our faith will step up in the midst of whatever it is that we are facing. And this man, in the midst of all that was going on in the temple, Jesus said to him, Be arising in the midst. And in the midst of all this was going on, stand up. And so he stood up and all the eyes were on him. And he said, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and became as good as the other. But here's what we want to do. We have our own way that we're going to receive. Father God, I have a sore, whatever it is, and we can list what it is. And I want you just to heal it and me go on my way. <laughs> right? Isn't that how we want to do it? I just want to receive it and just go. Well, we're going to take a look at a case here today that may not jump out at you as an injury. But some of the principles are very similar. John chapter 9, verse 1. I looked this up. It has been quite a while since we've uh, gone over this story. We may have mentioned it a few times here and there but have not really spent a whole lot of time on it for a number of years. So we're going to spend some time on it here today. John chapter 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? All right, if he was blind from birth, this did not happen because of an injury, did it? He was born that way. And we're going to get into why we're using this particular story for what we're doing here. In just a little bit. But he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him saying. Rabbi who sinned this man or his parents. That he was born blind. So they are assuming. That this cause. Of being born blind. Came about because somebody did something. Who sinned. This man or his parents. That he was born blind. So they've made an assumption. They believe that somebody sinned. They just don't know who. Was it, the, was it the man himself? Or was it his parents? But they've kind of narrowed it down because it either needs to be the parents who had the baby or it needs to be the, the baby itself. And I don't know what they expected the baby to do, but who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? I put this in your... In your outline for you. Make sure that we, we would get it. The question is based on an assumption that someone sinned. If we ask a question and we have a false, and the, the question is based on a false assumption, what would the answer be that we receive? If I ask a question that is based on a false assumption, what's going to be the answer that I receive? It's got to be a false answer because my assumption is false. So if 
The question is, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? If I answer that question the way they asked it, well, this man sinned. What's that answer? That's false. Well, his parents sinned. What's that answer? It's false. But you see, a lot of Christians will go about and they will ask questions based on a false assumption. It's based on a false assumption. And that false assumption, they don't, they don't get revelation on it. And so because of the false assumption, whatever they hear, whatever they receive is wrong. Christians today are asking questions. They're asking questions that are false. Well, God, and they'll, they'll, they'll phrase it out. What about this? But they can't hear the falseness in the assumption. So who do you think comes along with the revelation? The enemy will come along with revelation. And he'll say, this man sinned. He'll say, somebody, somebody else sinned. He'll, he'll, he'll fill you with an answer. And that person will come around there and say, well, I got this answer. I asked God and I got this answer. And this is what was said. Hmm. So what do we do about that? I've got a false I got a false assumption. How many questions do you have that have produced revelation that you have lived your life by? But that revelation was false. And yet you think that it's so true. You think that it's right. Well, let's go on and see what, this is, what else is happening here. Oh, I didn't fill in your blank here. The disciples' question is, what, is much like what people ask today. What was the cause of the bad thing? When we have a bad thing happen in our life, most of us want to know what's the cause of it. And then we narrow it down in our, in our heads. We come up with what we think it might be. And, and, and go from there. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. What was the question? Who sinned, this man or his parents? What's the answer? Well, either this man or his parents or, as in this case, neither. That would be the answer. Can you answer this question any other way? The question is either this man or the answer is either this man, his parents, or neither. Or maybe you could say both. <laughs> but one of those would seem to be the answer. So Jesus answers it. Here's the question. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, we've, if you've been here long enough, we've gone over this verse with you. And you're probably familiar with this. But the punctuation is not in the Greek. All punctuation in the Bible, every single punctuation mark in the Bible is inserted by the translators. They didn't have room. They have enough paper. And so they tried to cram everything together. And so there is no punctuation in the Greek. And for the most part, you can tell where one stops and one, one picks up. But at any rate, this is inserted by the translators. 
So when you see a comma, that's not in the writing. We were out at Ramah, and we were learning Brother Doug Jones. He was the first one I ever heard enlighten me on this. And he said, if you just change the punctuation, you change the meaning. The answer to the question is simple. Who sinned this man or his parents? Who sinned this man or his parents? The, question, the answer was, neither this man nor his parents. Well, why is there a comma there? Because the answer to the question is, neither this man nor his parents, period. If you leave the punctuation the way that it is, what it sounds like, Jesus answered the questions as to the cause. The cause is, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the cause is because that the works of God should be revealed. It seems like he's still answering the cause. But you see, their cause was a false assumption that one of these people sinned. Jesus is not answering the cause because they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now put a period there and capitalize the B. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, comma. Go on to the next verse. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. If you change those two punctuation marks, a period to a comma and a comma to a, peri- uh, a period, if you just change those two marks, what you have is, here's the cause. It was neither him nor his parents who sinned. But that the works of God may be made manifest, I have come. And that's why Jesus is here. He's no longer answering the cause. He doesn't try to answer the cause. Folks, apparently the cause is not that big of a deal. What he's doing is, let's take care of this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But that the works... Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. So Jesus refutes the foundation of the question and answers the question they really are asking. What can we do about this? What can we do about this? Let's go on to verse 6. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He spat on the ground. And made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now the blind man is blind. So he probably doesn't know that he spat on the ground unless he could hear him. How many people like spit? I'm not a big fan of spit. Now some of the crowd that I go with, runners, tend to be spitters. I don't know why that is. I am not a spitter. I don't, I don't spit when I run. The only time I spit when I run is when I swallow something I didn't want to swallow. And I try and spit it out. Because, you know, you can eat a lot of bugs as you're running. And as they uh, unfortunately fly in, I try and spit them out. Other than that, I don't spit when I run. There's this one guy who runs on the group run that we go on. And I do try and not uh, get near him. I either want to get ahead of him. 
Uh, generally, I'm ahead of them, <laughs> so that's, that's good. But every 10, 12 steps, he's turning his head and he's spitting. And boy, I tell you what, you don't want to be on that side. The first time I saw that, I said, oh, Lord, <laughs> what is wrong with this? Why do you have to spit so much? Every 10, 12 steps, he just turned and spit, just constantly spit, spit, spit. I mean, it's just gross. I get ahead of some people. I, I like being ahead in the group run. I like to be out in front. Uh, I'm not the fastest guy there, so you know I'm not always out in front. Usually for the first mile I can sometimes be, but then you know people catch up with me and there'll be a few of them up ahead of me. Or hopefully most of those aren't spitters. Because you see the glob of spit on the ground. And I'm thinking, oh man, what are you guys doing? And I, I make sure I avoid it. I don't even want my sneakers to touch the spit. Right? Can you imagine if somebody spit on the ground, made mud, and then smeared it on your face? Oh, oh man, that's going to bother me. Now, maybe he's blind. He didn't know where the mud came from. I don't know. We'd have to wait probably to get to heaven to find out. Did you know that Jesus spit on the ground and made mud? I don't know what that's about, but he spit on the ground. Now, if somebody spit on the ground and it got on you, what is the first thing you want to do? Get it off. But Jesus doesn't say, you know, to get this off. He, he says, no, you can leave that on for a little while. He says, go over to the pool of Siloam. Now, I went back in this and you have to go back to the chapter before to find out where Jesus came from. Jesus came out of the temple. And as he came out of the temple, he had some discussions, some things were going on. And as all that was happening, eventually he comes to, to this. So what we are able to pretty safely assume is that this guy is in proximity of the temple. He is somewhere around the temple. The pool of Siloam, if you had gone over to Jerusalem, anybody go over to Jerusalem before the year 2004? If anyone went over to, the, to Jerusalem before the year 2004, you were shown the pool of Siloam, and it was the wrong one. They had a tunnel that was made. Hezekiah is the guy who made the tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel, they had a pool, and that was labeled as the pool of Siloam. What they did not know was that Hezekiah also had made a second tunnel. And this second tunnel was the one that fed the pool of Siloam. But the one that was on this other one was not the pool of Siloam. It was a different pool. But because they found a pool at the exit of this first tunnel, they assumed that was the pool of Siloam. But in the year 2004, they made some excavation. They were actually, the people in Jerusalem were actually just going up about and, and they were doing some uh, excavating work for plumbing to change some things in plumbing in the city. And so were, so were some kind of plumbing things they had to do. So as they were digging around to put these things in, they came upon a structure. And as they unearthed it, they uncovered what is the actual pool of Siloam. But this was in the year 2004. So if you went before 2004, you saw a wrong pool of Siloam. And it was passed off as this is the pool. But it's, but it's not it. The pool of Siloam was actually a very large pool. 
And the reason that it had, had been lost, the reason that it had, had gone away, was because of its, its location in the city. And what would happen in here is that a lot of, it was in the lower part, lower part of the city, and the water would wash down into there, and what also came was a lot of mud. And so this pool, after the city fell in 70 AD, and the Romans came and destroyed it, after that happened, the pool wasn't used anymore, and the mud just kept coming and filling up. And eventually, it filled it up and covered it over, so that no one even knew it was there. It was covered over that much. So a lot of mud would come down into this particular area. That wasn't brand new. That had been going on. But as long as it was being used as a pool, they kept it clean and kept using it. So the pool of Siloam was actually a very large pool. It's not a little tiny thing like you have in before 2004. It's a little tiny thing. It's not a little tiny thing. It was actually a big one. It was eventually divided. They think it was divided so that the men were on one side, the women were on the other, and people would actually go there and take baths. That's not why it was actually created. Why it was created was a water source so that if the city came under siege, they had fresh water. They couldn't be affected by the enemy. That was the purpose for, the, for Hezekiah having built all that and done these things. But at any rate, this man was being sent down. He said, go to the pool of Siloam. Now, the pool of Siloam also had this significance. When they did the Feast of Tabernacles and they had to get the water on a daily basis for the Feast of Tabernacles, guess where they went and got the water? from the pool of Siloam. So the, the pool was in close enough proximity to the temple. And I've seen people measure this out and they say it's somewhere around a thousand, maybe a little bit more, a thousand feet. A thousand feet. So you're looking at, a, you know, not that, not that far, or a thousand yards, I forget, a thousand feet, a thousand yards, it was thousand, it's, it's not that far. But it's not right next door either. So you had to go a little bit of a distance and if you're a blind person, you know, I'm sure he's got ways to get himself around. So he's got to now go keep spit clay on his face until he gets over to the pool of Siloam and then he's supposed to go in there and, and wash. And again, it was probably a bath at that point. It was probably muddy water, somewhat muddy water since it's, uh, it's dealing with this, this mud on a regular basis. So it's probably not the clearest of water. Probably had some mud to it. But that's where he was supposed to go and to do this. He couldn't go to anybody's house. He couldn't use any water that was close by. He had to go over here and use the pool of Siloam because that's what was, what was said. So if you are the man who is blind and somebody that you don't know real well spits on the ground, puts mud on your eye, and then says, go wash in this pool that's a little bit of a distance over, over in this direction. How many of you are saying, why do I have to go over there? How many of you are thinking, why is, how is that going to do me any good? What, what's going on with this? So he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So why is this story being the one we're looking at? Something went wrong and it was not because of his sickness and disease. But something went wrong in this guy's body, not as a result of sickness and disease, more than likely not a result of sickness and disease, and caused him to be born blind. It could be a, a birth defect, something that didn't develop like it should, 
during the, the uh, growth process. Maybe it was a, uh, maybe it was something that happened on the, on the birth process itself. I would kind of doubt that one. I think it was probably something more along the lines of a birth defect. But you're looking at the same process here as, as for an injury because you have something in the body that is not working and has not been working for a long time. It is not the result of sickness and disease. So the healing that is needed here is very similar, if not exactly the same thing, as the healing you need in your body if you're injured. So that's why we're looking at this particular story and gaining some, some understanding from this. But we told you last week one of the things, one of the keys to injury is doing what is said to be done. So here's this person. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, did Jesus touch his body? He did, didn't he? When Jesus touched the body of a sick person, what generally happened? They generally got healed, didn't they? When the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, what happened to her? She got healed. So why is it that this man, whom Jesus intends to heal, when Jesus touched his body, did not get healed? Did you ever ask that question? Why does the healing not happen when he touches his body? He obviously touched his body. In fact, he even left part of his body on there when he hadn't left the spit on there. And this guy has to go and, and get healed. If just the touch would have done it, shouldn't he have been healed? So why is it that this guy wasn't healed? Now, I didn't put this in your outline. I put it in mine. The power of God did not come upon the man to heal his eyes when Jesus touched him. The power of God did not come upon the man to heal his eyes when Jesus touched him. When did the power of God come upon the man to heal his eyes? When he washed. Or basically, when he obeyed. Until he did what Jesus said to do, Nothing changed in his body. It's important in this area that you do what Jesus says to do. If we're going to have a big ask from God, there can be a big command. I've said this to you over the years many, many times. Every time that God has given a command in the Word and people did it, what followed? Power. Every time in the Word of God that a command was given and people obeyed, power followed. And it's the same thing here. What we need to be finding out more, listening more, is what is God saying to me about my condition? Because if I can hear what He says and I do it, I will be healed, no matter how big the ask is. This man was born blind. To these people, this is one of the hugest cases they got this is this shocks them a man born blind we're looking at eyes that have never worked never functioned and now all of a sudden they do a man born blind is healed so he went 
and washed and came back seeing. Verse 8. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. Now look at the difference here between this story and the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood heard about Jesus. She heard that Jesus had gone about healing people. That people had come out and touched his clothing and received healing. They, he, she heard things specifically about Jesus and it built her faith up. She wasn't just looking at a Jesus. She was looking at this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And what does this man say? Who did this? Who did this? He answered and said, A man called Jesus. Does that sound like he knows him? Does that sound like he knows of him? Or that there was anything that went on that built up faith? Oh, here's Jesus. This is Jesus. Oh, if Jesus, if I can get Jesus' attention. Oh, remember blind Bartimaeus? When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth who came by, what did he do? Try to get his attention. Jesus, son of David! Have mercy on me. Because he knew who he was. This man had, apparently does not know who he is. A man called Jesus made clay and anointed his eyes and said to him, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. That's what happened. Now isn't this intriguing that one of the greatest miracles to these people the healing of a blind man. As the story goes on, you certainly see this. To these people, this is one of the greatest miracle stories that we have. And it was done by someone who really didn't know anything about Jesus. There's some guy. His name was Jesus. I don't know. Know who that is? A man. It's called Jesus. That was not an uncommon name back then. It's not like, well, there's only one Jesus going through town. That was a very common name. It's kind of like John, Jim, Stephen. You know, common names we have here. That was a common name for them. A man called Jesus spit on the ground. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Let's go back over the... <clears throat> to, no, that's where we want to be. Some said this is... Yeah, we jumped ahead. Jumped go back to verse 6. Let's read it again. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. There's the miracle. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? If you were blind and you were on your way back and now you see, how many of you are saying, How you doing? It's a nice day outside. Maybe it's a little bit cool. But, you know, how's your day going? Doing good? 
How do you expect this man to be coming back if he is now seen for the first time in his life? I think he's kind of coming back and he's making a bit of a spectacle. I can say. I can say. I couldn't see before. I can see now. I can see. Oh, I can see. And he's jumping, maybe even doing some leaping, whatever it might be. He can see. He's making a spectacle. And so they're, they're seeing this man coming down and there's a spectacle going on. Something's happening. What's going on? Wait a minute. That's the guy. That's the guy. He used to be over here, probably a beggar. He was born blind. Look at him. He can see. What happened to you? What happened? This is, this is stirring up the city. We're looking at people. They knew him. They're neighbors. They'd seen him. Isn't this the guy who sat and, and begged? Some said, this is he. This is the one. Others said, boy, he looks like him. Obviously, he can't be him because that guy's blind. This guy's not, but he sure looks like him. So he came on up and said, nope, nope, I'm the guy. I was born blind. That was me. Born blind, not blind now. Was blind. Now I see. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? So he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. No, he left off the spinning part, so maybe he didn't know. Made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Do you see in this conversation that he has that there is any great faith on the part of the man who was blind? Was there any great knowledge of who Jesus was or any great confession that he had? The only thing that we have that this man did was he obeyed Jesus. That's it. We have nothing else that this man did. Jesus said, go wash in the pool. And what did the man do? He went to the pool, the one that Jesus said, not some other one that he decided. And he went and washed in the pool. Now, I gave you some space here. If you want to write any of this down, you can. There just wasn't room for it in your, in your outline. The people seem to fall into three groups. Three groups of people. There's the first group, those who believe that God, through faith in Jesus, they believe that, that Jesus, through faith, He's, he's uh, moving, He's saving, He's healing, He's working in His world. That's the first group. The first group, these are people who have faith in Jesus and they believe that Jesus and the power of God is at work moving and healing and saving and doing stuff. That's the first group. Here's the second group. Second group, they believe that certainly faith is at work for salvation. But anything above salvation, well... That's an act of grace. 
They're not guaranteed anything outside of salvation. Faith is good for salvation. But then after that, you know, you just got to hope and pray that God heals you. You got to hope and pray that something else happens if you want it to happen. But there's faith for salvation. That's the second group of people. How many know people in that group? Then there's the third group. These are the people who don't believe that God exists. Or if they do believe that God exists, that God's not doing much. That's the three groups of people. Most are going to fall in. Of course, the goal is to be in that first group. <laughs> but some people, they don't want to be in that first group. They want to be in the second. They want to be in the second group. No, no, no. I believe that you know, people can get saved. But um, that's about it. Now look at verse 12. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Now, think about this. They're asking a blind guy, where's the guy who put the mud on your, your face because you were blind then? And then you had to go to the pool still blind. I mean, he, he told him the story, didn't he? You know, I was blind. Some man named Jesus, I don't know who he is. I didn't see him because I was blind. That's why I didn't see him. If I wasn't blind, I'd have seen him. But I didn't see him because I was blind. But he put the mud on my face. And I went and washed it off. And then I could see. So they say, where is he? I mean, that ranks up there as one of the most stupid questions ever asked. How's he supposed to know? Well, you see, after he put the, blood, the, the, the mud on my eyes, he turned left. How is he supposed to know where Jesus went? Some people can ask some really stupid questions. Uh, where is he? Uh, I don't know. Told you. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Is that where that uh, music artist, what was his name? The, the guitar player... Um, the artist formerly known as something. Was it Prince? Prince? All right. Prince? I didn't listen to him. I'm sure it comes as a shock. But I thought it odd that he was the artist. For, didn't y'all, didn't he switch, switch back after a while too? Did he become the nar- artist known as? So they brought him who, form, I think he was reading the Bible when he took that name because They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Not blind now, but he formerly was. I'm not prince now. Formerly I was. But I'm not now. He must have been reading the Bible. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on his eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Okay, so here's our basis for the decision of whether this person is from God or not. Does he keep the Sabbath? Now, how many of you know some people? And they say, well, I know this was God who said this to me. How do you know that? Because I got goosebumps. 
When I heard that voice, it came up in my spirit. I got goosebumps. So I know it was God. Some of the things that we do, folks. We know this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But you guys are from God because you keep the Sabbath, but you don't heal people and you don't heal people blind from birth and you don't raise anybody from the dead and you don't cast out any demons, but you are from God. But the guy who's actually doing the works of God because he did it on the Sabbath, he's not. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is the Messiah. No, he didn't say that. I came to the understanding that he is the son of David. No. Well, I, I think he's a prophet. What's he basing that on? Is he basing that on what God has revealed to his spirit? No. <laughs> because you remember the, the disciples? They said, you are the Christ, Son of the Most High. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father. So if the Father is going to reveal, it's going to be that he's the Christ, not that he's a prophet. So he either got that from other people or from a source that was not from God. So this man who was healed of a condition that apparently no one in that area had ever seen is healed and even has his doctrine messed up about Jesus. Now before it seems like he didn't know who Jesus was. He just said, I don't know, some man named Jesus. Some man named Jesus. Now, who do you think he is? Well, I think he's a prophet. Why? Well, he opened my eyes. Got to be something, right? I mean, I don't know what he is, but got to be something. I'm going to say he's a prophet. <laughs> and yet we think in order for us to get healed of certain injuries and certain things going on in our, our bodies, that we have to have all of our P's and Q's aligned. And if we don't, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail. This man, first off, didn't know who Jesus was, apparently. And then, he's got his doctrine messed up about Jesus' ministry. He's a prophet. So he doesn't know much about Jesus. This man was even a little timid to stand up for Jesus, who had just opened his eyes. Wasn't even bold. But yet he received healing based on what? His obedience. That was it. Can you see why? I, I tell you, in the area of injury, the number one thing to do is obey. But you can't obey until you hear. So you've got to hear what Jesus is saying, then you've got to obey and do it without questioning. Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. It's just like it is today. You know, if certain people don't like a truth that people are 
are spouting, well, they start to tear down the person spouting the truth. Well, we don't even think you were blind. How do we know you were blind? Just because you say you were blind? So they don't even believe that he was blind until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? I mean, we don't know who you are. We don't see any medical records. But you say he was born blind? Has this just been a long con in the making? I mean, how else are we, how else are we supposed to hear this? The Jews did not believe concerning him they, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. We can confirm. Yep, that's him. He grew up in our house. That's him. That's our son. Hmm. Well, we, we know this is our son. And, um, well, we, we know he was born blind. And we carried him around everywhere. Took care of him for all those years. Because he's blind. We, yeah, we, know, we know this is our son. And we know that he was blind. No doubt for that. But by what means he now sees, well, we don't know. We weren't there. Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. He's of age. Ask him. So they didn't want to get involved. They're, I get the idea that they're a little nervous about it, getting excited. I mean, can you imagine if your son, and however many years his son was uh, blind, and, you know, it could be 15, 18, 20, maybe older. Can you imagine having a son all those years blind, and now suddenly is seeing? How many of you parents would get excited? Oh, man, this is good. And yet, these parents are very subdued. Well, yeah, that's our son. Yeah, he was born blind, but I don't know how it happened. We don't know who did it. Uh, you know what? He's of age. Go ahead and ask him. So we know he's not a toddler, he's not a youngin. He's uh, he's he's crossed the age of accountability. He's accountable for his own actions. So uh, yeah, ask him. See what he has to say. Because you know we weren't there. And uh, we really don't want to get involved. They didn't want to face these guys. This is the atmosphere that's, that's being created. That parents cannot get excited that their young one, who was born blind, can now see. That is not good. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He's of age, ask him. I don't know. Ask him. We're not, we're not going to get put out. No, sir. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give glory. Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Do you now? He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
I mean, you can't argue with logic like that, like that right? Then they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I, I picture one of those crime shows on TV. And they're interrogating the guy for the 10th time, asking him the same questions. I already answered those questions. What else do you want me to say? You ever seen one of those scenes? I, I can see that now. This is what's going on right here. What did he do to you? I already told you. You didn't believe me then. This is like NCIS or right there in, right there in the Bible. See Gibbs back there. Banging the table. So let's go on. He answered them, I told you already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you all, I love this line, do you also want to become his disciple? <laughs> that kind of means that he has become a disciple, doesn't it? So he went from, this man went from not knowing about Jesus, didn't know who he was, to um, thinking he was a prophet, to now he's a disciple. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we did not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing. You can hear the sarcasm, right? Oh, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Now look at the metamorphosis in this guy. This guy goes from some guy named Jesus to, I think he's a prophet, to, I'm his disciple, to standing up the people that everyone else is afraid of and saying, hey! <laughs> Isn't this a fine thing that you guys can't tell us where he's from? And he got them so riled up that they threw him out. And I don't just mean they threw him out of the building, they threw him out of the synagogue. You are no longer allowed to have church here. You're gone. I think his parents were afraid what happened. He just stood right up to him and says, you might throw me out? Come on. And, and how long? An hour? Two hours? This man went to, to a bold guy who would stand up to the, all the religious leaders in the room by himself. You, you go ahead and take me on. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready for you now. I mean, that's a big change. But the man was healed before that change ever happened. Which means you didn't have to become like that to get healed. He was healed before any of that ever occurred. And after that healing, and as he began to get more revelation on Jesus, he became bolder and counted himself as one of his disciples and was fine with being cast out of the synagogue. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, 
Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. How many people has Jesus ever had such a big reveal? How many people has Jesus gone up to him and said, I am the Son of God? There are very few, aren't there? But he did it with this guy. He said, Did you believe in the Son of Man? The guy talking to you right here. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. But all that happened afterwards. It didn't happen to bring about the healing. But the healing started the process. And this is what the man became. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Now I think there was a little bit of a gap between verse 38 and verse 39. I think that conversation was with the man privately, but then he said this thing so that other people could hear. Because this was not made for just this man to hear. The other things I think were just for the man to hear. This was not. This was for other people. For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So at first it looks like Jesus is talking about two different categories. One group who sees but is blind and another group who is blind but sees. And then at first he said, oh, I guess we're in that group that, uh, yeah, we're blind, right? And Jesus said, no, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. It's because you see. So what he's saying is, you can actually see the truth but have decided to go a different direction. And that's a whole other category. There are people out there, folks. They were back in Jesus' day. And we're, they're in our day too. They know what the truth is, but they want to pitch it to you differently so that you will believe the lie. Even though they know it's a lie. Even though they know it's not true. They want to pitch it to you so that you will believe the lie. what the Pharisees were doing. Now, I put this in your outline for you. A good way to discern if a person is of God or not is to look at their attitude. Look at their attitude. You got a couple of groups here, the Pharisees. You got Jesus. You got the man who was blind. You got the people that were all around. There's an attitude that is, that is there with them. And we see the attitude of the man. It certainly is changing. And it's, it's getting to the spot where I'm going to stand up against these things. And I'm going to stand up for the things of God. And then you got the Pharisees. Their attitude was, we're going to stand up for the things that we want people to do. We don't really care what the Bible says. Look at the attitude. And if people are presented with truth, look at how they receive it. If you present people with truth and their attitude is of such to shut it down, you don't, need any, you don't need any more identifiers. That shows you right there who, who they are. You can find out about people real easily. 
I put this in your outline for you. Put yourself in a position to hear. This is the first thing. If you want to get healed of something in your body that needs a restoration, either from an injury or wasn't born right or whatever it might be, and uh, just, just understand this, you may think that your pain in the back or a knee or a hip may be a result of some injury. Do you know that some of those things are, are that way because it was born a little funny? And you may have been walking on it a little bit funny? And eventually it wore, wore down and it's actually injured because something at birth wasn't quite right. Not everything is that way, but thank God it doesn't matter. You don't have to know all the ins and outs about it. But here's the thing you've got to do. Put yourself in a position to hear. I've got to be in a position that God can speak to me and that He can say things to me that He wants me to obey, wants me to do. Put yourself in a position to hear. Not every Christian puts themselves in a position to hear. But being in a position to hear. One of the things you can do to help put yourself in that position is constantly be under the Word. Be reading the Word. Be listening to the Word. Get the gifts that God has put into the body of Christ. Get them in your ear. Don't just be listening to sermons on Sunday. Get them, get them coming to you all the time. Because the Word of God has said that He has put gifts in the body. What are those gifts? Pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets. These are people that will speak things to you. You want to hear the things that they have to speak. They're the gifts. You don't have all the gifts in yourself. I've got to go out there and, and glean off of some of the... I need them to be constantly speaking to me. I heard uh, one person put it this way. Um, and they were, they were talking about it. I think they were talking about Brother Hagin at the time. But they were just talking about when he would read Scripture that sometimes it would just open up for him. And they, they came out with this. Do you know that sometimes a person under the anointing of the Spirit of God just reading Scripture is different from you reading yourself? It will op- you'll, you'll hear things that you didn't hear before. That's why it's so important when you get into the Word, make sure that they're getting into the Word. I get frustrated when I'm listening to a podcast of some pastor, some teacher, some prophet, or whoever it might be, and they don't get into the Word. The number one thing I want them to do is read the Word to me. I can read it myself, sure. But I want someone under the anointing to be reading the Word. I want to hear them read that Word. I want them under the anointing, and I want them reading that Word, and I want to hear it. It doesn't matter that I've heard that scripture a thousand times. I'm hearing it now with this person under the anointing reading that word for me. And I put myself in a position to hear so I can listen. Keep yourself in a position to hear. So number one, get the gifts that are in the body of Christ and listen to what they have to say. On a constant basis, you should be listening to what they have to say. Get in the Word of God yourself. We read a chapter a day here as a church. Get, make sure you stay up with that. It's in your bulletin. Pull it up. Read that chapter. Go and, and read other areas as well. You can get some, some books. that are they're teaching books. Read some of those. Get, your, get yourself sharp on the Word of God. 
be constantly under. If you're not constantly under, you're not going to be able to hear. I hear many things. Sometimes I'm, I'm listening to someone who's anointed and then they're preaching. And all of a sudden, as I am listening to them, this is not a topic that they're talking about, but it's almost a, a few words, a sentence that they say, and the Spirit of God will enlighten me something on a whole different area. Oh, I can see that now. But you see, I put myself in a position to hear that because I keep constantly putting myself under anointed men and women of God as they preach, as they read, as they minister the Word of God. If I stop doing that, I stop hearing things. Put yourself in a position to hear. It doesn't just mean get into a prayer closet and pray until God talks to you. God will maybe do that to you sometimes. But for the most part, He's going to talk to you when you're doing these other things. Sitting under the Word. Reading the Word. Sometimes you might be out shoveling snow. And revelation will come to you. You should get so in love with revelation that you find ways to put that revelation in your car. To find ways to put that revelation in your ear. I have ways to put that revelation in my ear if I'm cutting the lawn. If I'm in the shop standing. If I'm out running. I was having a conversation with somebody. We were talking about things and they were talking about the music that they listen to when they run. I said, I've never listened to music when I run. You don't? No, I've never listened to music when I run. What do you listen to? Oh, I listen to preachers. Listen to podcasts. Really? I never would have. They actually said this. I never would have thought of listening to that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the best, best stuff to listen to. Keep putting yourself in a position. You've got to be so in love with it that you will find ways to hear and to listen. Because it's that important to you. Put yourself in a position to hear. That's the first thing you've got to do. Here's the second one. Train to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Train to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. There's a training process that goes on with that. Train it. Train yourself that way. How many of you would consider yourself a night person? How many of you would consider yourself a morning person? There's no right or wrong answer to it. It's just, you know, most people fall into one or the other. You are either a morning person or a night person. It kind of makes sense because you've got to sleep in one of those times. And I, I'm generally a morning person. I don't know if I was born that way. I don't know if I trained myself that way. But generally, if you are a morning person, you get up early. Because that's what morning people do. And if you're a night person... You stay up late. I'm lousy at staying up late. I am really bad at it. My wife will, if we want to sit down and watch TV at nighttime, you know, sometimes we sit down and we, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, we watch a show that we have recorded, we, you know, Hallmark movie or something like that. (laughs) I will fall asleep watching the thing. So the way that I come about and combat that, and it makes her aggravated sometimes, but I, I don't know how else to do it, is I pull out my phone and I read stuff. So I pull up my phone, I read things, I mark things ahead of time, and then I pull them up and I read them so I can read and watch the show. Because if I just watch the show, I fall asleep. And I'm not watching the show. 
There's a bunch of times I'm watching a show and I'm, I'm not reading anything and I fall asleep. What happened? I don't know what happened. I got to leave it on the DVR. Maybe I'll come back and watch it later. I don't always. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I fell asleep. Happens a lot. But in the morning, five o'clock rolls around, I'm up. I just I don't set my alarm for five o'clock in the morning. Don't need to. I'm up. I may even sit there. I don't want to be up. I want to be asleep. I went to bed late. I want to be asleep. Body go to sleep. And body doesn't listen. We're up. I don't like that so much. Here in the wintertime, it's been so cold. You know, I have to get up. If I go to bed at 11, 11.30, which is kind of normal, I don't, I want to go to bed 9, 10 o'clock. Amen. 9, 10 o'clock, I like to be in bed. I don't, don't happen. If I get to bed at 9, 10 o'clock, I feel good waking up at 4.30, 5.30, o'clock. I feel good. I go to bed at 11.30, 12 o'clock and get up at 5, not feeling as good. But anyway, that's what, what happens. But you know, you have to get up, get out of bed, go down, put the wood on the fire, come back on up. Two times in the night, I used to have to go down there and feed the fire. Sometimes I get by with one, but you got to get up there and, and do that, especially right now because it's been so cold. Oh. But even just despite doing that, my body still goes up and, and, and gets up early. Why is that? Because every day that I wake up early, what am I doing? Training myself. Every time that you stay up late. How many of you ever stayed up late? Oh, I wish I could go to bed earlier. Anybody ever say that? Any night people. Anybody ever say, I wish I could go to bed earlier? All right, a couple of people. Yeah. But every time you stay up late, what are you doing? I'm training my body to stay up late. That's, there's training process that goes on there. You've been, you've been trained to do that. You know, t- take some foods. How many of you all like guacamole? You all know I love guacamole. How many of you hate guacamole? All right, every time that you see guacamole, what, do you, what happens on the inside? Ew. Same thing happens to me when I see cooked cabbage. Ew. What am I doing? I am training myself to despise cooked cabbage. I'm very good at training myself to despise cooked cabbage. You're very good at training yourself to like or dislike whatever it is that you do. How many of y'all like coffee? How many of you like coffee from the day you tasted it? There was no learning process. Most people I heard like coffee. Well, I didn't like it at first. It was a little bitter. It was, it was. But now I love it. Why is that? Because you got trained. How do you train yourself? Well, you kept drinking it. If you drank it the first time you didn't like it, what did you do? I went back and I drank it again. Until eventually drinking it. I heard one guy, he told me how he, he uh, learned to drink coffee. It was the weirdest story I ever heard. He, would be, he, was a, he walked to school and his hands would get cold in the wintertime. And so he would go into the 7-Eleven because Wawa's weren't around then. So 7-Eleven was the store. He walked into the 7-Eleven, he'd buy a cup of, of hot coffee and he would carry it and put his hands around the coffee on his way to school. And the coffee would warm up his hands. And then he'd get to school and he'd throw it away. It served his purpose. He'd buy the cup of coffee, walk to school, and then throw it away. And eventually he thought, well, that's really a waste of coffee. Maybe I ought to drink it. 
And so then he started to drink it, didn't like it at first, but eventually, you know, he got to the spot where, oh, it was okay. And he, he's drinking it. Now he's a coffee drinker. Now he loves this stuff. Trained. We, every day, folks, we are training ourselves to do some things. What are you training yourself to do? We first off got to put ourselves in a position to hear. Then I need to train. I need to train myself so that I am ready. Then when called upon, I'm ready to respond. Train to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. This is a, a, a thing that Brother Hagin would, would tell us about. He, he put it to us this way. He said, learn to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. I just changed it and made it train. He'd say, learn to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. He said, it's, there's just little stuff that will come up first. You know, the, the spirit of God will tell you, you know, don't go here. Don't do that. Don't buy that. Just, you know, little things like that. And he learned how to train himself or to, to listen to that voice. So, and he didn't just say learn to listen. He said, learn to instantly obey. And that was his terminology. Instantly obey. And so every time that that would come up in his spirit, he would instantly obey it. He's training himself to do it. You got to train yourself to do it. You got to get yourself into You can train yourself to do anything. Just like a, I may have a dog. This is not a cat thing. You can't train cats, I don't think. But you can train dogs. And you can try, I told you about my dog. I spent, I had one dog in my life. I spent everything I had on, on, on training that dog. And that dog was good. That dog would not leave our yard. That dog listened whenever I snapped my finger. That dog knew what I wanted to do. All I had to do was snap my finger. And that dog would figure out what I wanted it to do. I could snap my finger and the dog would stay. I could snap my finger and the dog would come. Because it could figure out what I wanted it to do. All I had to do was snap my finger. Isn't that great? Dog could read my mind. Snap that finger. That dog look at me. Figure out exactly what I wanted to do and did it. Constantly. It's a good dog. But it took training. It didn't come out that way. You didn't come out this way. You got to train yourself. The thing is, folks, every time we don't obey the voice of our spirit, I am training myself to not do it. Just like you can train yourself to despise guacamole. Just like I have trained myself to love it. Now I pull out that menu. First thing I'm looking for, where's the guacamole? And if I don't find it, my next question is, why are we here? There's, there's not. There's nothing here. There's no guacamole. Why are we even here? See, I train myself that. And every time I get an opportunity to learn to like guacamole more, I take it. I order it. Sometimes I order it as a meal. And I'm training myself to do what? love guacamole just like you train yourself not to just like I train myself not to like cooked cabbage I could train myself I don't know I could train myself to like cooked cabbage I could what would I have to do I'd have to do it I have to get out there and, and eat the stuff can't think about it you got to do it the only way you can train yourself to instantly obey your voice of your spirit is to do it but it's a training process I've got to put myself in a position to hear. 
then I've got to train myself. When that voice comes to my spirit, I've got to instantly obey it. Not question it, not debate it, instantly obey it. I got this in my spirit. I'm supposed to do this. Instantly do it. Instantly do it. Comes up in your spirit. Call so and so. What should you do? I wonder why I should need to give them a call. Can't really think of any good reason to call them. Alright, well I'll do it, but you know, I'll I'll wait till tomorrow. See, I'm not training I'm training myself to not obey. This is what we do a lot of times. I've trained myself not to obey. The Spirit of God says, Get up. What do I say? I will in an hour. The Spirit of God says, Get up and pray. What do I say? I, I don't have anything to pray about, so I'm I'm good. I'm all prayed up. We're good. Get up and read the Bible. I will do that in just a little bit. I'm gonna see. I'm training myself to not obey. I'm not putting myself in a position. The two people we looked at so far, the man with the withered hand, and this guy right here. What did they do when they heard the voice of Jesus? They instantly obeyed. Now the first guy knew that Jesus was a minister. The second guy says some man named Jesus, but he still obeyed. And it still worked. Doesn't matter what you think of Jesus, apparently. What matters is that you will think enough of him to obey him. It's the second one. Train to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Instantly. It's a word that Brother Hagin drilled home with us. You've got to get it. Instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Don't delay. If you delay, what would happen if the withered hand man, Jesus says, stretch forth your hand, and he sat there? Maybe he thought about doing it in 60 seconds. What would happen? Nothing. What would happen if this guy didn't go down to the pool? Instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Third one, heed the command when you hear it. When you hear the command, heed it. Train yourself so that you're ready and then heed it. Train yourself so that you're ready and then heed it. If you're going to run a marathon, if you're going to run a race, if you're going to do a walkathon, if you're going to do a, a, a cycle thing somewhere, there's a training. There's training that you go through, training process. You don't just go out there and do it. There's a test coming. There's an opportunity coming. This man with the withered hand had that opportunity come. And when it came, he was ready. This man that was born blind had an opportunity to come and he was ready. And he did it. You can get yourself trained up for it. Get yourself trained. Obey those little things. It has nothing to do with the thing you're trying to get healed of. But do it. Trained instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Heed the command when you hear it. Sickness and disease, folks, you take authority over it. When you encounter sickness and disease, you take authority over it. Disease shall not inhabit my body. I take authority over sickness and disease. You will not be in my household. You will not be in my body. I take authority of that because of what Jesus did. I take authority over it. That's what we need to do. Injury and restoration is not take authority over. It's submit to His authority. 
injury and restoration is not take authority over. I haven't been given authority in that area. I've been given authority over sickness and disease and over everything that creeps upon the face of the earth. But on injury and disease or injury and, and restoration, we all know it. He's the one who's doing it. He's the one who's got new legs. He's the one who's got new eyes. He's the one who has the ability to, to jumpstart that kidney or that heart or that lung or whatever it is that's not working the way that it's supposed to be working. So he's the one I got to obey. And there's a submission that's there. So we're still seeing the submission and authority. But you see, I want it to be undermined. And so a lot of times we start speaking to injury the same way we speak to sickness and disease and wonder why we're not seeing the results. This is what they, we need to do, folks. We've got two cases down. We're going to look at some more. Submit to an authority outside of yourself. Submit to that authority of when God speaks that you do it. There's going to be something that God's going to call upon you to do. If you want a big receive, there's going to be a big sow. Something you're going to sow is going to be big to get that big receive. We all want the big receive. Don't want to sow anything big. It doesn't happen in the Word of God. If you're going to receive something great, you're going to sow something great. Get yourself in a position to hear the voice of the Master tell you what to sow. You don't come up with it on your own. He says, take your son, your only son, the son that you love. Because when you sow this, you're going to be in line for something great. Be listening. Take these three things. Put them, Look in your life. Am I in a position to hear? Am I putting myself in a position to hear? Am I training myself to instantly obey? And then when that message comes, heed it. Heed it. We've mentioned this how many times. God may be speaking to you about changing your diet. About changing the way that you exercise or don't exercise. About changing something about your lifestyle. Yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I realize I should do that. But I haven't done it yet. How many times have we heard Christians who say, God's been dealing with me about doing... Well, why is He still dealing with you on it? Because you're training yourself to disobey. Don't do it. The only reason that he's dealing with you is that he's still trying to convince you that you ought to do it. Because if you were convinced that you ought to do it, you would have done it. If you were convinced that washing the clay off of your eyes would cause your eyes to open up, you would have done it. This man never saw that this worked for anybody else. Probably had been in that pool himself before. It never affected his eyes. But Jesus said, go wash this off in the pool of Siloam. And the man went and washed in the pool of Siloam. What is it that God is asking you to do? Are you training yourself to heed? Or are you training yourself to not listen? Because you are going through training. You're training yourself for something. What are you training yourself to do? 
Adele, stand up with me. Ask our ushers to come. So it is the first Sunday. Our communion Sunday. Jesus told us to remind ourselves of these things. Then on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he was taken before Pilate, on the night before he would be taken to the cross, brought his disciples into the upper room and he broke bread with them. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. That he bore in his body our sickness, our disease, that we would have authority over these things in our life. He took the curse so that we don't have to bear it anymore. There is no glory in us having sickness and disease. There's no glory in us having blind eyes or lame feet or withered hands. And he's given us the opportunity to be healed. We just need to do what he said to do. But he said, remember these things. These are important to remember. This represents my body, which is broken for you. Your body doesn't have to be broken. His was. It's broken for you. As you eat together, remember, so easy for us to forget. As we look over the course of the Word of God, we see sometimes it was easier for people to believe that Jesus healed than it was that he forgave. And other times it was easier for people to believe that he forgave, but that he didn't heal. But Jesus instituted what we call communion. He called the Last Supper to let us know that he is equally on board with forgiving as he is with healing. And all of it is part of the same cross. Same events. Let's take and eat together and remember the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. That blood is shed for you. The blood of the old covenant. That blood only covered up sin, but Jesus' blood washed it away. With Jesus, the price was paid and redemption was had. And all those souls that were waiting in Abraham's bosom were released and taken to heaven. And we have the hope and the knowledge that when we die and we leave this place, that we go and reside with him. Because we have been bought. Our price has been paid for. 
we have been redeemed. Nothing we need to add. Nothing we need to do. We just receive. Let's drink together and remember. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, for the blessing that it is for our life, that we are healed and we are saved. We are forgiven. We are made free of sickness and disease. We thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Any praise reports? Things headed on the back? Don't forget to write those things up, folks. You want to want to hear them. If you weren't here in the beginning of the service, we had the slides going. We got some other ones. Some people sent some, some more pictures in from the opening of the Christmas presents. Daryl will run that again for you and have that have that going so you can you can see them. If you uh, bought a present, you can see it up there. If you didn't, you may not uh, may not know, but they're all they're all up there for you to enjoy. Anybody on our Facebook feed, log in and say a howdy. Oh, plenty of people. Hang on a minute. Stacy's there and Bruce and Trina. Yeah, we did see I did see Lamar in there earlier. Nice, Chelsea, Corey, Lamar. On there. Oh, and Mike is usually there too. All right. I got to try and remember to, to do that. We'll let you know who's uh, tuning in by, uh, by that way as well. Um, I got a notice from Victor about the funeral going on. I went to click on it and it said it wasn't there. So I didn't forward it out to anybody, but I guess it was yesterday. Was it early in the morning, our time? Can get the audio. Okay, so the internet connection probably wasn't real strong. Uh, did they post it? Okay, so if you go up on um, whose page could people go to to see it? I hit that link and it just said it was it was um, not there. You think it might work now? I'll try it again. All right, if I get a working link, I'll put it up on the church Facebook page. You can go up there and you can, you can check that out and see. When does our brother Jolly coming back home? He leaves Thursday or comes back Thursday? Okay, so he's probably leaving like Wednesday. Yeah, it took him a long time to get there. What was it, uh, two days? Yeah, he spent another night at a relative's house once he was there waiting for the last leg of the flight to, to pick up. But he did get there, so I'll let you know how things go for the for the way back. Uh, Wednesday night, we are going to have service. I don't see any kind of weather thing happening that would keep us. The cold doesn't, it seems to be getting out of here tomorrow, which is nice. <clears throat> and there doesn't seem to be any snow or ice or anything like that. So Wednesday night, we'll be finishing off the um, chapter in in uh, chapter 6 in Hebrews and we put this question out there for it. I think it's in your in your bulletin. But what is the difference between patiently waiting for something like the or I'm, or, I'm sorry, patient faith that the 
writer in Hebrews talks about or just waiting forever for something to come and answer the prayer. What's the difference? Because there ought to be a difference. Just, just simply waiting or waiting with um, patient faith. So we're going to go over that. That's going to be this Wednesday night. And then uh, next Sunday, of course, we'll be, be here for the, the 10 o'clock service. So, um, all right. Have a blessed